Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you today from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey, truly delighted to have this opportunity to interview the youth advocate psychotherapist, relationship coach, and best-selling author, Amy Carpenter, who will be speaking to us today from Rockport, Maine, where she lives with her husband and daughter. Amy has over 25 years of experience teaching young people about sexual assault awareness and prevention through personal empowerment, healthy relationships, and sexual ethics. Her work has been featured on CBS, NBC, Market Watch, and hundreds of nationally syndicated newspaper and magazine outlets. She is the founder of Be Strong, BY Sexual Assault Awareness and Safety Program, and the author of two books in the best-selling Be Strong, BY series. Amy's wisdom is gained from her own life as a parent and a survivor. Her work equips young people with important internal tools that increase confidence and support healthy relationships on all levels. She also offers educational programs to help parents have the important conversations about sexual violence and sexual safety with their teens. Plus, she also offers training programs for teachers, counselors, youth workers, and other caring adults on how to educate young people about sexual ethics and personal safety in a way that is empowering to them. I'll be asking Amy about her own work as a parent and survivor, her important work educating and empowering young people, her educational and training programs, and more for what is going to be a very informative and powerful interview, especially for those of you in our grief and rebirth audience who have children and grandchildren. Hey, Amy. Hello. A warm, warm welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. And what a perk that you come from Maine, one of my favorite states. Uh, <laughs> it is, it's a lovely place to be. We're all, everybody's getting ready though, because, you know, you start to apprehend snow. It becomes a part of your psyche. That's true. So Are you northern or the plow guy? We've got like <laughs> all the gardens dealt with yeah it's a process <laughs> we sort of had that in new jersey but not as extreme right, right right are you on the northern part of maine or the southern part of Maine? we're right in the middle and the mid coast you get the best yeah. of both worlds it's nice because portland's an hour and a half away yeah. um and you know you can still drive to boston four hour trip um but the coast is lovely and there's lots of little coastal towns that are very sweet so it's a good place to be absolutely you cannot beat their lobster roll no way. No, no, no way. <laughs> okay, so let's start by getting everybody to know about Amy Carpenter. So please tell us about your 25 years of experience as a psychotherapist and trauma expert before you began to focus on creating a sexual 
safety education program? Sure. Well, you know, I um, I never anticipated that I would end up where I, I now am. Uh, I was always focused on, uh, in my clinical work, I always ended up working with um, people who had experienced trauma. It wasn't something that I sought out necessarily, but it did just so happen that over my years in doing individual therapy, and I work with individuals and families and couples, um, that I was working with a lot of assault survivors. And uh, I studied trauma in graduate school. It, it was kind of always this interest of mine, but I never really claimed it as a focal point in my career. It wasn't until uh, it was around the time of the Kavanaugh hearing, and all this information is, is in my book, but um, at the around the time of the Kavanaugh hearing, the survivors who I were, was working with at the time were having a, a real difficult emotional time. And I was trying to process it with them. And because I'm a writer, I was working on an article about the effects of trauma on the developing brain. Because most assaults happen in young adulthood uh, before the brain is fully developed, which doesn't happen until age 24, 25. So there's a significant imprint that happens on the brain when there is trauma. And now studies are coming out more and more of late where science is really supporting some of the observations of trauma clinicians over the years. But I, I had been observing this in my practice and I was trying to write about it in this article. And in the midst of writing the article, unfortunately, uh, my daughter who was 17 at the time was assaulted while volunteering at a church soup kitchen. Oh my God. And uh, that was when my world kind of imploded um, in that it just, it just turned the tables on everything that I had been doing. I never expected the emotional reaction that I had. Um, it, it really undid me for a little bit. And I had to get my bearings and of course process my grief and my, my emotion, you know, emotionality around it. But then I had to really look at, you know, what am I doing? with my career and my work with trauma? Um, and is there a place for prevention? Because I've been doing this assault response for effectively you know, 20 years. Um, and it just became very clear. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. So- I mean, um, of all things, anybody would be upset, but for you also to be especially upset, and this happened with your daughter, that, yeah. wow. Yeah, and I mean, to, to her credit, and I want to say that I, I would never talk about her story without her permission. So she's given me permission. Her story is in the book, um, in both books. In the first book, she has a pseudonym. And the second book, I talk about that. But um, it, it was not being somebody who's heard a lot of horrible stories throughout my career. I have to say, and my daughter was the first to say this herself, it was not a severe assault. She was touched inappropriately by an attendee at soup kitchen and she was kissed on the mouth. So um, now this person was like in his sixties and she's 17. I mean, it was very uncomfortable and she would say gross at the time, um, but she did all the right things. She told her friends, the friends told the teachers, the teachers called the police and me and all the right things happened uh, the man was arrested, but I, you know, you can't prepare for that as a mother. And so what I realized, one of the very difficult things that I ended up writing about is that 
here I was a trauma clinician and my daughter had that happen, you know? So I needed to look at my own blind spots in my parenting around what did I not tell her? What did I not inform her about? And that's why I decided to write these books is that I really think it is a struggle for all of us to talk about hard things with our teenage children. And yet we have to. So, um, so you know, I, it is definitely a story of despair that became hopeful. Um, my daughter's gone through the course, she's advocated for it. So, it, you know, she was able to bring it to her high school. Um, so, you know, she's really been an, a, a change agent as well throughout the process. But uh, it, was, it was very tough at the beginning, for sure. It sounds like a difficult entree into your sole purpose, though, to tell you the truth, because you're helping so many people. It seems like to be your purpose to bring this out to the world. And I love when you say that our wounds are what make us strong, empathetic, and aware, making us champions for others. Yeah. So are there any other wounds you'd like to talk about that inspired you to pursue this, to pursue sexual ethics and assault prevention as your life's focus? Do you want to address that? Yeah, I mean, it will be hard to do it in a short answer, but I'll say a, a few things. So as you, as you said earlier, I am an assault survivor. Um, I was assaulted when I was a child. I was eight years old. And this story is also in the book. Um, again, it could have been far worse, uh, but I was assaulted by a group of boys who came onto our property when my parents were home and basically attacked me and took my clothes off. And, um, and I was screaming on the ground. And what's interesting about the story, and I think this is relevant to your question, uh, is that I never told anybody. And yes. it's, one of, it's one of the things that I work a lot with when I talk with young women in my classes, um, because we all have a, an internal good girl and we've been, girls are very conditioned to be good, which often means don't share your feelings, don't speak out, don't disagree with people. We're coming a long way. Um, and I think the Me Too movement did a lot to, you know, for our favor in this regard, but it's still a very big cultural imprint for girls. And I had that as well. So when I was a child, I did not know how to put together what happened to me with my understanding of myself. So I never told anybody. You, right. I mean, you never told your mother would be the most natural person in the world for you to tell. Yeah, I never, I never told anyone. It was embarrassing. I, I had all the things that most survivors. Who rescued have. you? Did anybody like come to your aid? No, they eventually. What happened is the group of boys. It went on for several minutes. I was screaming. Finally, one of them said, um, "It's not worth it," and they let me go. So nothing worse happened. Thank God. So it was an assault, but I was not raped. Um, and they let me go, and I ran inside the house, and I never told a soul. Um, it wasn't until I was in my mid twenties and I got into some therapy for myself. And I was of course studying to be a therapist that I did some personal work. And that's when my therapist said, I think this is a pretty significant story. You might want to start, you know, thinking about this. And of course I've done a lot of healing work since then, but what's interesting to your question is that when my daughter was assaulted and that was not that long ago, it was 2019. Wow. Um, when my daughter was assaulted, there was a there was a, a facet of that story that I never had consciousness of. And it was that um, for my whole life, whenever anybody grabs my wrist, 
I have a, a huge fight or flight reaction. My, my lizard brain, my animal brain goes into high alert and I'm terrified. And I will fight back viciously if anybody grabs hold of my wrist. So again, you would think I would have put that together with the assault at age eight. But it wasn't until my daughter got hurt that I realized this final piece of my own story and was able to, again, do the healing work to kind of complete it in a way. And of course, it's continuing. Um, and I think that the work I'm doing with teens is a part of that process. But it's just interesting to me how, again, we can have these blind spots around our own lives and the stories that we've lived through. And sometimes it takes somebody else's story to reflect our own story back to us. Well, right? it triggered it, right? It, 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 it like, yes, went right at it. But the, the, the thing is, I think you're so effective for what you do because you did experience this yourself. You're not just talking, you're, you're, you actually, and you've also done your own healing work, which is around it, which is so important. You're like a role model while you're teaching them. You're also a role model. Um, in what ways do your Be Strong, Be Wise Sexual Assault Awareness and Safety Program and your Be Wise, Be Strong, Be Strong, Be Wise book series help to educate and empower these young people, building confidence within them instead of fear. What do you teach in, in, how do you make them aware? Like, what would you have told, what was that blind spot that you would have told your daughter? Right. So, well, right. Yeah, and this is something that we bring into our work and in, in, our, in our training sessions with caring adults, like teachers, counselors, parents. Um, that, you know, every teenager should know what grooming is. I would think every, you know, 10 year old needs to know what grooming is, what to look for, how to, uh, you know, communicate right you away. Want to define that for those in our audience. Sure, sure, sure. Is she talking sorry. about my hair is done? <laughs> <laughs> right. Very, very good point. Very good. So grooming is when is effectively manipulation on the part of an individual who comes across as being very friendly and nice and comfortable, but really has an ulterior sexual motive. And that's exactly what this man did at Soup Kitchen with my daughter is that he came across as very friendly and nice and non-invasive and just asked her about school. Um, and then he began to get increasingly creepy the more that she uh, was spending time with him. And there's a whole lot to the story that is equally important to empowering for example, in this case, my daughter or an individual is empowering groups of teens to look out for each other. And uh, because in that instance, she was surrounded by fellow students, teaching staff, other attendees, um, church personnel, and nobody came to her rescue. Nobody, nobody no, smelled it. Nobody had a few, nobody, nobody was did educated it. enough to say this doesn't look right. right. And he even, you know, took hold of her hand at one point, which immediately should have been a sign, but there was, there was a lot with that went wrong that day. Um, I won't get into further detail, but, you know, aside from teaching young people about grooming, helping young people understand the strength of their peer group, and how they can keep each other safe. For example, on a Saturday night when they're out doing what young people do, um, there's a way to have fun and still stay safe. And that's one of, the, one of the earmarks of the program is that we really recognize that 
you know, shaming young people or, um, you know, effectively trying to tell them to just be careful, don't drink too much, stay at home, get a, get a, you know, have a DD on board, all of that stuff doesn't really speak to the reality of being young. It doesn't really speak to the reality of being out at a frat party, for example, when you have 99% of the attendance intoxicated, you know, like you've got to be able to understand what to do in those circumstances because not going to the party is not really an option. Young people want to be with other young people. That's normal. That's how they individuate. That's how they become who they are. So how can we help them do what they want to do and still stay safe? I love so this, Amy. I love this because I have, you know, you think about it more for girls, but it's also for boys. Oh, yeah. And I have grandsons and I'm listening to this and there's no doubt in my mind I'm going to say to my son and daughter, you got to listen to this interview. I mean, like the boys are going to be coming up and. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I don't know how old your grandchildren are, but at the middle school level, studies are showing that assault rates are pretty similar for boys as for girls. Which so, would be about seventh grade on. It would be about sixth or seventh grade on. And younger, younger and younger ages are going on pornography. That's another thing we address in our program is the effects of pornography. So oh God. Boys, 10 years old are going on pornography sites. Uh, so we really have our work cut out for us in starting, I would say, in middle school with this type of education or something similar so that young people have the tools that they can then take into their high school career and their college career. I think it's uh, fabulous. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, it's very important. It's so important. I'm really glad in a way. I'm sorry you went through what you did, but look at what's come out of it. How many people oh, you're thank helping? You. Thank you for really, it's a privilege to work with young people. I mean, I, I think they're they're wonderful people, and you learn from them. I learn from them every time I teach them. For sure, I bet you do. Yeah. What um, what are the red flags you teach a teen to recognize with new people, or starting a new relationship? And can those red flags also apply to us adults? Uh, well, I'll answer yes, absolutely. Red flags apl apply to any human because we all have an autonomic nervous system and red flags are another way of talking about the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism, um, or another way of talking about our intuition, our gut instinct. And the, the gut instinct is one of our five safety tools that we talk about in the program. And it's actually our most important one, because if you know how to listen to your intuition, you know when something's a little bit dangerous, when somebody's crossing a boundary, when you need to communicate, um, you know, what is, what is required in that moment in order to keep you safe. So your gut instinct is really important. And what's interesting, again, in our classes and working with teens, most often, because we always have a questionnaire that we give at the beginning and at the end, and we get our data points because schools love evidence-based learning. And so we have our data to support our program. Um, but ironically, students will most often say that gut instinct is the tool they are least skilled at, which makes sense because they don't have a frontal lobe yet, which the frontal lobe is our, responsible for our executive functioning and our discretionary thinking. So really important when it comes to sexual safety to have discretionary thinking. So we begin um, in the classes with uh, a foundational understanding of the definition of sexual assault, which most young people don't know. They think it's rape. It's actually not rape. It's much broader than that. 
Um, and we begin to look at three operative words, unwanted sexual touch, and how that gets defined for each teenager. Because every teenager has different boundaries, has a different communication style, has different uh, approaches to touch. And so being able to help them identify and define what is unwanted sexual touch for me um, begins to create a language for what that looks like um, and what to do about it when it crops up. And that's when you start to get into the red flag. Because if somebody is approaching you and crossing a boundary and you understand what your definition is, your gut instinct is going to give you a signal. Well, the other thing I would think it's hard for them to be in touch with that because they're so mindful at that age about whatever being popular, what everybody else thinks. So they haven't really individuated to pay attention to, wait a minute, maybe it's more important what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we talk a lot about um, peer support. I call it group power or herd consciousness, because that's a really important a thing to acknowledge before you get into the more specific individual teaching. So we do the peer work in class three. We have five classes in our program and we, it's on a continuum and we narrow the scope with every class. We start with a broad definition. Then we focus on gender and culture. We look at what it's like to be a young man, what it's like to be a young woman, what it's like to be a non-binary person in our culture currently. And I would say it is um, young people have their work cut out for them in our culture currently. Today, it's um, really, it's, it's not easy. Right. And the, the, they are learning most from their phones. So what we do is we begin to look at some of the influence of culture and helping to understand what's true from what's not true. So we do bring a lot of research because um, teens are pretty fact hungry if you're going to teach a teenager, you better have your facts straight. So we present some facts along the way. Um, but we acknowledge the importance of friendship. And in class three, we look at substances. How do you go out and have a good time, but still stay safe? How do you work with your peer group? And then in the next class, we begin to really look at the individual. So we try and acknowledge both. I think it sounds fabulous. So are there specific emotional intelligence skills you teach teens to use when someone's, and you're talking about it's mostly about their gut or when, you know, when someone's trying to make them uncomfortable, manipulate them or trying to control them. I uh, mean, what are, what are some of the other tools? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So, so again, so I've kind of talked about the first three classes right. and then in the fourth class, we get into our safety tools. There are five of them. Oh, poop. Wow. Yep. Yep. So I have five classes, five tools. It's easy to remember. So uh, the five tools are gut instinct, people perception, communication, affect manipulation, which I'll describe in a second, um, and common sense. So all of those are really important pieces to emotional intelligence, as well as like kind of world intelligence. But Affect manipulation is basically looking tough even when you feel scared, which is important in a situation, uh, in a lot of situations that young people find themselves in. Also a, a skill that most teenagers feel very um, ill-equipped with. So they kind of have to, we do a little role play. We do some practicing. Is that so, fitting under the fake it till you make it? 
it really is a lot. Yeah, that's a very good way of looking at it. Um, yes, like faking how faking being a lot tougher and more powerful than you may feel in the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice for them. How, Amy? How are sexual pestering and sexual bullying different? That's that's such a great question. And so how do you? And also, but the other part of my question is, how do you teach young people to listen to their inner warrior? Which I think is you're talking about your their gut instinct which enables them to assert themselves. And then you talk about affirmative cons consent. Okay, I'm gonna try and answer all of those. Um, and you have about two seconds to answer all of that. But it's fascinating to me too. I'm, I'm learning as I interview you. So how are sexual pestering and sexual bullying different? Okay, well, sexual pestering is, is um, like the name implies, it's when you basically pester somebody to have sex with you. So, you know, young men, I wouldn't, I won't say this is only young men, young women do it too. Um, it's most often heard with young men. Uh, and this is a result of a lot of the effects of the media and pornography, which I won't get into, uh, but you can imagine. So it's basically just pushing and pushing and pushing somebody to have sex with you after they've already said they're not interested. So that's sexual pestering. Sexual bullying would be, um, Slut shaming is really common. Um, saying a, a derogative slur to a woman as she's walking by, uh, um, cat calling on the street. Um, and, and really what I'm hearing from teens again is that in their high school day, it's almost normal to hear derogatory sexual remarks throughout the school day. So it's becoming a, a normal part of a young person's existence to have to field all of this sexualized derogatory statements. And, it, you know, again, because it's almost normal, it's not really seen as a big deal. Uh, so we're trying to kind of, you know, educate people on building their inner warrior, as you said, which stands up to that kind of thing. So when I have a, a you know, a young woman, for example, tell me that somebody called her a slut in the hallway and she swore at him in response, I say, well done you. Um, you know, it doesn't matter the, the methodology used. Obviously we don't wanna encourage swearing all the time, but for a young woman to stick up for herself in that moment is a really great thing. Uh, and we wanna support that more. I also wanna say for our young men, because I think that it would be a shame to remotely demonize young men, um, young men are having the same kinds of challenges and I'm hearing more and more stories about older women coming on to teenage boys. Oh my gosh. Basically, again, sexually pestering them, um, manipulate, grooming them. Um, and young, young men are saying, I don't really know how to stick up for myself because I don't want to be rude. So we, we really have a lot of, again, work cut out for us in offsetting the cultural imprint around being good for all sexes, not just girls, and being able to create a language for, you know, effectively not being nice when there's no room for being nice. If yeah, you're giving them permission around, to take care of themselves. Yeah, do what you have to do. That is not the time to be nice. But again, they've been raised to be good little girls and boys and not do that kind of thing. So, you know, it just creates, a, it, we have to do a lot of conversation around it. Well, that's fascinating. And I would assume, please correct me if I'm wrong, that affirmative consent is when two people agree or in sync with each other. Is, 
or am no, I wrong affirmative, about that? It's, it's very, very, it's, it's um, slowly making its way forward. So affirmative consent is um, the understanding that at every stage of the sex experience, consent needs to be given. Ah. So can I touch you? Can I touch your hair? Can I kiss you? Can I hold you? Can I touch you there? You know, it's asking your partner, again, male or female, what's okay for them. Now, young people, 50% of young people studies have shown don't even understand what consent is, let alone affirmative consent. So um, I think we're just giving like wildly mixed messages. And again, 88% of pornography videos contain violence against women. And in the videos, the women look like they like it. So, um, so we're really trying to offset the media's education of our young people, because this is where they're learning, right? right. Um, so, so affirmative action, what I say in my book and when I tell young people, um, even though they squirm, I don't care because we have to talk frankly about this stuff, is that affirmative action can be sexy. If you are with somebody that you find attractive of either sex and you begin to say, God, I love how your skin feels. You're so beautiful. This is just, it feels so good for me to touch you. Can I, and then you fill in the blank, like that's an invitation. That is a, an intimate exchange rather than, okay, well, let's just like do this because this is what I see on my screen or this is what my friends tell me to do. So this must be what sex is. And what young men, I, I, I want to, I do this in every podcast interview, per, forgive me, but I have to say this. Do it. If any, if here. I'm all, we're all ears. <laughs> yeah, if any, any listeners who want to um, really get their hands on an incredible piece of research, um, pick up Peggy Orenstein's books, Boys and Sex and Girls and Sex. They're mind blowing. They're not comfortable. I almost cried five times when I read Boys and Sex because what young men are having to deal with these days is, is tragic. But what, what they're saying, and she interviews young men in these books, so they're you know, talking to her very honestly and um, vulnerably. And what they're saying is that I grew up on porn and I realized when I got to college that I, I couldn't have sex with my girlfriend because it was never, in, I was never stimulated enough. I thought I had to be more and more. It was always more, more, more. That's not what sex is. It's not what it's supposed to be. But again, that's what young people are learning, um, you know, through, through their daily activities and their screen time. So talking very frankly with young men about what studies are showing is really important because it begins to, you know, hopefully catch the process early on and say, well, I don't really want to be that guy in college who can't maintain an erection. Maybe I should like do something about this now. You know, I think it's fabulous. I think what you're yeah. doing is so important. Could you share an inspiring story of healing and rebirth with us from, from your tons of people who you've helped? I'm sure you've got a good story. Well, yeah, I mean, I will, I will share a story from uh, that's in the book. And this, this person is given permission. I think she's a, a total warrior. And we do talk about creating the inner warrior for young women, creating the inner champion for young men. Um, this woman had a series of assaults when she was a young person and never told anybody. And again, it was the, the good girl phenomena at work, as well as a lot of victim blaming, which is a real, um, a tragic outcome for survivors is the level of victim blaming that they have to navigate, starting with the police force. But anyway, she took 
like myself, years to talk about her story, much longer than I did. I think it wasn't until she was in her 30s. And um, she talked about it in therapy and we worked together. And the long story short is that she began to realize how to take care of her inner teenager. And this is, this is where it's beautiful because I get to bring my psychotherapy work, which is I do something called transactional analysis, which is a long way of saying healing your inner child. We all have an inner child. And assault survivors most often have an inner teenager that was wounded, disbelieved, silenced, and shunned. And so she did the work of really embracing her inner teenager and loving her. And slowly, slowly, magical things began to happen in her life. And she ended up um, becoming an advocate in her community and speaking out for herself with her partner and with her family and, um, and really reclaimed her life in a beautiful way. So, yeah, so that was, that was a a beautiful story and I, we're, we're still communicating regularly. So that's marvelous. Tell us about your educational programs for parents, because now everybody wants to, you know, sign up for your programs. So please tell us about both your educational program for parents and your training programs for teachers, counselors, youth workers, and other caring adults. And are they all available online, Amy, in these days of COVID and all? They are available online. They are all, um, all the descriptions and the definitions. Um, everything is on our website, bestrongbewise.com. And uh, there's a description of our youth program. There's a description of our train the trainer program, which is um, our training for educators and counselors. And then we have a parent workshop where we do the same curriculum basically, but it's a little bit more casual and it occurs over um, a day long workshop. So that's what we we do with parents. And that information is also on the website and both books are on the website. I would imagine if I was a parent of a burgeoning teenager that I would definitely want to take that course to be prepared for what might be coming down the pike I, I, wow. It's, 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 you know, one of the reasons why this felt like important work and and something that I I wanted to continue to focus on is that, you know, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of um, parents who are the similar ages and have teenagers of their own. And it's hard. It's hard to talk about this stuff with your teenager. And so one of the goals of our work with parents and counselors is that to create more comfort with the uncomfortable and really to provide a roadmap for discussing sexual ethics in a way that doesn't feel so overwhelming. I love that expression to create more comfort with the uncomfortable. That's great. What are the best ways for everyone in our grief and podcast, grief and rebirth podcast audience to connect with you and where can, I'm sure they can find your be wise, be strong, be wise series on Amazon and any other places just Spell out, Amy. Yeah. Okay, so again, everything's on our website, bestrongbewise.com. There is a link to both books um, on the book tab. There is a link to both programs, uh, all three programs in the program tab. They can find me at amy at bestrongbewise.com. Uh, but that is, and, and you can find that on the website as well. So I would think that that's the best place to go. And I'm happy to answer any questions. I love talking about this stuff. So if somebody oh, wants to email me, they're welcome to. That's wonderful. And 
Why and how should people heal their wounds and issues? Well, I think to have an effective relationship, a solid, loving, compassionate relationship with yourself is the number one reason. Um, because people who have been wounded, whether it's from sexual trauma or from physical abuse or from even a harmful word, it can often close doors of, of self-awareness and self-love rather than opening those doors. And that's how we end up having the best relationships is when we can, first of all, love ourselves. So even though it's, it's hard work, and I do think having a really skilled healer to help you is important, but um, you know, finding a, a path of self-love, beginning with the moments that bring you joy and recognizing those moments and um, being able to, to claim them and bring more of them in. And the, the people I call them, I call them your mirrors, the people, places, and things that remind you of who you are are the mirrors and we all have them in our life and sometimes we overlook them sometimes we dismiss them but those are the things that remind us of our, our truth and our goodness and so going toward those things is a really helpful way of again cultivating that self right and then when you have these wounds and you don't heal them you're kind of bogged down you really can't go towards them because it's, it's like amazing a and it really right? keeps, it keeps people i think what i what i see in my practice is it keeps people from having what they want, which is often like a loving partner or a good job, because again, the wounds are what's driving their life rather than the self-love driving their life. Right, exactly. So it, it, it can become much more of a handicap um, than, than I think we realize or talk about in our, in our culture. Um, Cause we're always like, so busy, go, go, going, but it's a really important piece. Healing our wounds is absolutely essential. I love that. And Tell me, what is the Amy Carpenter tip for finding joy in life? Oh, the Amy Carpenter tip, other than what I just, well, I'm going to repeat myself because I do, uh, you, <laughs> I didn't realize that was going to follow. But yeah, I would say, I would say um, finding your mirrors, the people, places, and things that remind you of who you are. So um, for me, my, my mirrors, and it's one of the reasons why I'm in Maine and I probably will never leave, is uh, I love trees. Trees are, for some reason, when I go in the woods and I walk and hike in the woods, I feel comfort. So that's a mirror for me. So I, I know that when I take a hike in the woods, I'm effectively healing whatever stress is going on for me in the moment, right? In addition to whatever other tools I have. But I would say for people to go toward their mirrors, that's, that's where you find your joy. That's, yeah. really, that's really good advice. That's wonderful. I'm going to remember that because I happen to live in a, in a place where I'm surrounded by trees. And it's one of my favorite things also to oh, just hang out with beautiful. my people. Yeah, we have yeah. that in common, Irene. Yes, we do. That. We do. We're tree people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, your very important life's mission is to explore sexual ethics through the lens of personal empowerment. Thank you for helping our young people who are our future, to avoid toxic relationships and build healthy relationships in their lives. I have absolutely no doubt that many in our grief and rebirth audience, especially those with children and grandchildren, are now eager to check out your Be Strong, Be Wise Sexual Assault Awareness and Safety Program, as well as the books in your best-selling Be Strong, Be Wise series. 
Thank you from my heart for this incredibly informative and compelling interview. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now. Thank you.